Can we really believe the NFL? You've seen this story before. College coach has success. So, but hey, that's Kobe. Welcome back. It's another show of the Bitch Mob Podcast. Another episode is Friday. It's your boy. You already know Mr. Still Not Worried here with Miles Smooth Operator Davenport. Miles underscore 81. Check him out on Instagram. Follow him. You know, he don't post often, but when he does, he decides to bless your timeline. So just be prepared for that if you follow. Miles, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing good today. Today's a today's a good day. It's Friday. We're trying to keep the peace out here. Stay cool. Got to fit that back in there. We got to stay cool. <laughs> All right, man. It's Friday. We thank God for every day, but we thank God especially because it's Friday. We have a jam-packed show here today, man. A lot to go across, talk, talk on, touch on. Um, we're going to start off with Hey, we have to talk about the Thought Princess and the uh, Magnificent Seven. Uh, somebody, somebody came out on a podcast, I believe the No Jumper podcast, and she announced that she gave seven NBA players um, fellatio all at one time in one sitting and was proud to say that she had completed and swallowed and everything of that nature. Um and her response was, it's lit. That's how she viewed it. So I think we definitely have to, uh, I can't use that word, it's lit anymore, because I I have a completely different definition, but she done changed it. I can't say it's lit, because that's uh, not my cup of tea. What was your thoughts on uh, this team bonding experience? Um, I don't know. I don't have much to say on it besides that. This won't happen again for her. She running her mouth on stuff going on with players and the team. I don't know. She's she's doing too much, that's for sure. But hey, it helped her bag. She got money off of it. So there's that. There's not much I could say about this. I don't know. It's it's not a good look for whatever team she was doing this with. Yeah, um, my perspective on it, I'm more of a private guy. I like to keep my stuff in-house. Um, I'm cool with my wife and everything we do. So even before that, that never really was my bag. Um, I don't need that type of team bonding experience. Um, I don't even like being in the locker room and you decide not to put your towel on. Put your towel on. I don't want to – like, how is that process? Like, hey. Let's do this before the game. This is going to help us win. I really would like to know what team it was and to see their 10 games after that. Did they go on a winning streak? Uh, chemistry went up on 2K. Like, how did that go about? But besides that, I mean, uh, hey, shout out to her. This is the era that we're in. She parlayed it into 22,000 people. No, $22,000 on OnlyFans after the podcast was released. Um, it went viral. Hey, this is this is the way people go about making money. No knock on her. She's embracing her sexuality, but um, just not my my cup of tea. But we had to discuss it, being that it dealt with uh, some NBA players, and um, maybe it helped the team get closer. Maybe that's uh, what came about. It. But 
back to reality and some good information, some good stuff. We had the draft lottery happen last night. Um, I'm glad you're still here with us. I'm glad you decided to hop on still. Uh, you have a smile on your face. It's really appreciated. The Knicks fans were praying and doing sage and having hopes and dreams for some good luck to happen last night. And yet again, the Knicks did not end up with a top five seed. The top three seeds we'll talk about, it was the T-Wolves, Warriors, Hornets, got the number one, two, and three seed. How do you feel those three um, three teams will pan out with their top three picks? I mean, with the T-Wolves, they suck. But they should – they should definitely hit on this pick. If I was them, I would honestly look at Lamelo and then move uh, Russell to the two, yeah, and just have that team run like that because that would be nasty. But I feel like they might go the other direction and, and pick Anthony Edwards, which you can't go wrong with that. He's He could be a real game changer for them, but – they got a long way to go before any game changing happening happens. But then you got the Hornets who they need everything after they let Kemba walk. They need a point guard. They need, well, maybe not a point guard, but they need a lot of pieces to finish this roster out. So I don't know where they're going to go, but they need some, they need some help. And then the Warriors, it's just crazy that they get the second pick and they're like a they're one of the better teams in the league. If not for all the injuries, they'd be playing right now. But yo, right it's now almost, yeah. we started over today. They're a top five team. I'm yeah. almost yeah, I'm almost wondering if I don't even know if they should trade the pick. I would keep it and take either Wiseman to be their big man or Anthony Edwards if if he doesn't go number one. If he doesn't go number one, that's a that's a gift falling in the Warriors lap right there. Do you do you think they get they if Lamelo's there, you think they, they take Lamelo? Mm-hmm. I don't see it. I just don't see the fit. He's like he doesn't really play defense. They already have their point guard for the next like <laughs> probably decade if he wants to play. So there's no, there's no point in taking him. But a big and a shooting guard, small forward would make more sense for them. Just, just to keep the dynasty going. Because when they come back from this little vacation that they've been on this year, then we'll we'll really see what what's going on. Because I think they'll be a top two seed in the the Western Conference next year once everything comes back. I think I agree with you. Minnesota probably takes Anthony Edwards. That could be another scoring top option right there, depending on how he, he pan out. He could be another, you feel me, like 20-point scorer a night. You put him on the team. so And he don't have to be the main guy. When you got a D-load there and Carter Anthony Towns, start those three. That could be, like you said, they got some steps to get back to playoff contention, but – I think that'll be a nice core right there of young players. I think Golden State either drafts that big man or they trade for another piece. You feel me? Like 
they got Steph, Clay, and Wiggins as they a big director and Draymond still. You add, like you said, Wiseman probably at center, or they trade that pick away. Number two pick, I know it's probably gonna be a lot of teams trying to get that. They could parlay that into probably another another star and they do that. That's the thing that's great for them. It's so many possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of what they do, it'll be a win-win. And they'll probably, like you said, that's a top two, top three team next year. Charlotte, I, I think they could draft anybody and it'll, it'll pan out that it was a good pick because they pretty much need everything. I mean, you got Terry there, Devontae Graham. I still, if I had the chance, just because of the talent and the potential, i take LaMelo and maybe put those players at the two or have one of them coming off the bench and one play the two, kind of like that what they got in Portland, the two uh, really two-point guards, two-shooting guards type thing, had that type of three-guard three rotation. Um, but we'll see what Mike does. For you, the Knicks aficionado, the Knicks, if we had a separate show where it was just Knicks talk, you would run it. What do you think you guys can do at the eighth eighth pick? Like, who do you see would be a nice fit? Do you think you trade up? Like, how, how do you see that? Trading, trading up is an option, but I don't know if we should. We should just stay pat and trust these new guys we brought in for our scouting department. I know I've seen – I see a couple guys that could drop that that would good, be good pieces because we need shooting. So there's the guy from Florida State, um, the guy from Israel. Maybe he drops. Who knows? Because um, he reminds me of uh, Gallinari a little bit, the way he plays. A little more athletic, but in that same – same mold. Um, and I don't know. There's there's going to be a lot of raw point guards at eight. And I don't know if we have time to keep throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it pans out and, and taking these raw point guards, hoping that they develop when we haven't even let our own guys develop yet. So I think that the best option is to – look at shooting if one of the top point guards falls then maybe look at that but we, we mainly need shooting around like rj and and all those other guys because we have randall right now who's basically a ball stopping paint clogging uh there's not enough ad adjectives to describe tell me how you really feel tell me yeah he's not well liked in new york but it is what it is. So we'll see what happens. I, I see that the Knicks are there's trying to do the right things with hiring people, hiring people who are good at player development, which is something that we've lacked in clearly with some of our, our first round picks. And we haven't signed any of them to a second contract in, I'm trying to think, like 20 years maybe. So they just need to – figure it out somehow. If if it comes through the draft, if they have to trade the pick to get somebody else, then by all means. But 
we got a new regime. We got a new coach. He's brought in his people. So that all depends. The fans I know want to see us win again. And I don't know if continuing to draft raw players is the the thing that's going to work, especially when developing players hasn't worked. So I could see the Knicks trading that, that pick, honestly, packaging it with somebody else to get like a, a good piece. Yeah, we'll see what y'all do. Um, the rebuilding process has been going on for like the last decade. So hopefully <laughs> y'all make a decision where it's something that could help y'all win now or start winning now. Uh, transitioning, recapping some of the games, the game twos. We're going to start with that Utah Jazz Denver Nuggets series, which is now tied 1-1. Donovan Mitchell dropped another 30-clip. Um, Jordan Clarkson showed up. What's your takeaways from this Utah Jazz series with the Nuggets now being 1-1? I think it's going to be a battle. Like, D. Mitch, he has to go off basically every night. That was big, getting what they got from Clarkson off the bench. Um, and the Nuggets with Jamal Murray, he's got to be consistent every night. He can't – like game one, he dropped like 36. And then game two, he dropped 13. That's not – it's not really going to help the team win when he's probably the second most important player on the team as far as how the team runs and – if they want to make a run in the playoffs, they need him to be consistent. So that's all I have for that that matchup. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. played well. Jokic played well. But they just got off to a, a bad start, and the Jazz just, just turned up on them. Yeah, I mean, Jazz made 23s. That was huge for them, obviously. Jordan Clarkson, like we said, 26 off the bench to go with Donovan Mitchell's 30 clip. Joe Ingles had 18 again, 19 for Gobert. Like, I think this might ends up turning into a six, seven-game series, especially with Mike Conley coming back. That could help maybe alleviate some of the, the pressure and the ball handling responsibilities of Donovan Mitchell, even though I think how he been balling, whenever Mike Conley come back, he might have to be a spot-up shooter. Um, Donovan Mitchell need the ball in his hands. It's just – that's honestly looks like y'all best offense right now. Let him probe and create and get into the lane and make decisions. And he was efficient, too. 10 for 14, four missed shots. You got to keep it, keep it in the hot hand. Um, even game one, looking at Mercedes Murray, he didn't really start going off to, what, the fourth quarter? when it was, hey, we need you to show up now. So it's a consistency thing with him. If you have, like we're saying, like people are hoping, that could be their their big three. They got they all got to show up. Michael Porter Jr. had 28. They all got to show up every night. If those three show up together, each getting 20, 22 points, I don't see, you feel me, with how deep this team is, I don't see how they lose often with their big three showing out like that. But seven-game series, six-game series, I think, pans out. I still pick the Nuggets actually pulling it out just because how deep they are. They Trans should. They should, but, you know, who knows? This is the playoffs, and there's no home court, so 
if the Jazz win game three, then that might shift a little bit towards the Jazz because they're, they're the underdog in this series. They're not supposed to be doing all this, especially they don't have Bogdanovich. So if the Nuggets can't beat this team, then I don't know. You got to just keep developing and and hoping some of these people work out like Bol Bol, but they might have to make a trade too and and see what they could get, like another star. Might even have to trade one of their top players like Murray or, or something like that because if he can't be consistent – like he he's getting paid like he's supposed to be averaging like twenty five and five, but he's not there yet. So when when can we expect him to be there? Who knows? Yeah, that is interesting. I've always thought about like if they don't pan out, if they don't make a, a deep run, do they make coaching changes? Do they make lineup changes? Um, Denver is kind of not on the level of Milwaukee, but they're kind of like a Milwaukee to me in the playoffs the last couple of years. Pretty good, borderline great regular season for the Nuggets the last couple of years, and the playoffs come, and they it doesn't pan out. It's not a deep run or anything like that. Maybe it's they had they're deep, so it's like do you cut down the rotation? What what do you have to do to get this team clicking on all cylinders to make that run? Mm. And it's always interesting when you're a team in the West, like, what do you do? Do you just settle for a get into the playoffs? Because even if they're all clicking on all cylinders, do we really think Denver is going to make the championship and win the championship? Every year for the last couple of years, there's two or three teams that we know in the West are actually actual possibles, you know, actual contenders. Everybody else is – well, if they have this and this and that fall in line, then they might be able to. As an owner, as a GM, do you just accept it? Like, look, we don't have enough. We're not beating the Lakers. We're not like – I always wonder that, how they approach that, like even in the Jordan years. Yeah. Do we just accept, look, hope Jordan gets injured and then we have a chance? Transitioning, speaking of one of the contenders – the LA Clippers lost to the Dallas Mavericks 127 to 114. Dallas series tied up 1 1. Uh, something I was thinking about the other day, I'm pretty sure it crossed your mind. What's interesting too with this bubble, you got, for example, Dallas tied up the series as 1 1. If this was no bubble, that's where you hear a lot of the teams like, all right, we did our job. We split one of the games in LA. Now we get to go back to Dallas. There's no. Going back that, no. So I think that's interesting. They all in the same spot. It's not, oh, we got one. Look, it's a seven-game series in the same spot. It's no home court. It's no, we get to go back to our place now, which I just think is a completely interesting, which we've said from the rip, how the bubble's going to go. See, yeah. everybody in the same spot. There's no home court. There's no get to go back home. Home cooking, sleep in your bed. <laughs> Nah, you just got to get these dubs. What was your takeaways from uh, this uh, Mavericks game, them pulling out this win? I kind of had a feeling that they were going to win game two, just coming off of game one. And they could honestly, if not for Porzingis getting thrown out, they might even be up to, to nothing right now. But with him there, it made a big difference. And what 
what's the craziest part of this this game was Luca played only like nine second half minutes because he was in foul trouble the whole game. So the Clippers had a chance to come back in this game and the bench for the Mavericks just kept matching them blow for blow. Like Tim Hardaway was giving out buckets. Seth Curry was giving out buckets. They just couldn't stop them when they needed to. They made, they tried to make their little push at the end, but you can't just turn it on that late in the game and think that, all right, we now, now we're playing we can come back in this. It doesn't work like that. You got to play like that the whole game. And Paul George was not hitting anything. But I think that's just just a tough shooting day because I saw at least like six or seven of his shots just rim in and out on like threes and pull-up jumpers. So he wasn't that far off. And if those shots fall, that game's a lot closer. But I, I think know. points out to me too with that game um, – Shout out to former Nick. A little salt to the wound. Trey Burke had a good game. Um, that too. Trey Burke was feeling it. Somebody else that y'all let go. Um, it's basically a the what's that song? It's the uh, it's the cha cha slide with the Clippers defense. You just mentioned they couldn't get stopped. Okay, yeah. Fine. Paul George couldn't get his shot going. He was in some foul trouble. So he, let's say he wasn't able to get into a rhythm being in foul trouble. They still gave up 127 points with this elite defensive team that everybody keeps talking about, that everybody was saying when the season started, oh, Kawhi and Paul George, they should be putting teams on lock. I drink the Kool-Aid. I'm thinking Luka probably can't go off this, this series. You got Kawhi, Paul George, and Pat Bev, who did not play. But I'm like, between those three, you got a Marcus, you know, Morris add in that mix. I'm like, all right, they, they should be able to lock them up. 127 points. The Mavs shot 50% from the field, 44% from the three-point line. As you mentioned, Luka had 22 at the half in foul trouble, so he only ended up with 28. Imagine if he was in a foul trouble play the whole game. We talking about another 40, 40-point triple-double again? He ended up with 28-78. And it's not so much like they're getting crazy. They're just getting hot from the three-point line, and they made 20-25 threes. They're getting basically anything they want inside the paint, mid-range. Their defense, I think, needs to step it up. It's never been. Lou Wilson has 23 clip. Kawhi went off of 35. Defense. This is this is supposed to be what the Clippers' calling card is that defense. And if they play in D like this, and they want to, you know, be that playoff team, like oh, we can turn it on when we want. Not with the Dallas Mavericks. They are this whole season has been the most efficient per possession of getting buckets. This ain't this ain't the team to play. Uh, now you playing with with fire and. They don't step it up defensively. I see this might be a um, <laughs> this might be that first round upset where uh, the Clippers is out, which makes it easier to pass for the Lakers. But we'll, I digress. We'll talk about that's that. Where, that's where the home court comes into play because if some of these teams had home court, then you have that crowd factor that you know 
can affect some of these players. But you don't have that. You have the fake crowd. I mean, I would say fake crowd because they're not actually there and it's not. it doesn't feel the same. But, the virtual fans. Yeah, the virtual fans. It doesn't really affect you as much as like 50,000 or 20,000 fans in an arena all yelling at the same time is, is different. So that, that factors in. That could have affected the Mavs at some point or any of these teams that were quote-unquote on the road for these first couple games. But without it, it's kind of like an even playing field. It's just like a regular season game or a preseason game almost where there's not – as much pressure besides the fact that it's, you know, it's the playoffs, but you don't feel it as much as you would during a normal season. It's a glorified AAU tournament Mm -hmm. with no fans there. Some would say it's actually easier in regards. You ain't got the fans yelling. You ain't got to go back and forth with Jack Nicholson on the sideline. Uh, If the Knicks was in the playoffs, Spike Lee, like you, you don't have those, you don't have the heckler. You can't hear somebody a virtual fan like, yo, you suck. You don't have that. Oh. I would think outside looking in, I'm not a pro. I don't get paid for this. But I would think that kind of would be an easier way to perform. It's, it's like practice. Some players feed off of that energy. But, hey, this is your job. You get paid to do perform. Exactly. I think the Nuggets might want to take a page out of the Rockets um, playbook. Just mentioning the Rockets pulled out their win. They're up 2-0 in the series. They only have an eight-man rotation right now. Only eight players played. Um, maybe they take that rotation, Denver Nuggets, rotation advice. But Houston pulled it out. James Harden didn't even have the best game. 21, went 5-16. for 16. What's your takeaways from this game? Or are we just calling it a sweep at this point? How do you see this one panning out? This one, I don't know, because I don't know when Westbrook's coming back, but this it doesn't really help OKC that they lost the first two games with no Westbrook, just going against Harden and a bunch of spot-up shooters. That was basically what these first two games were. Like, first game, Harden went off and did his thing. And second, the second game, like, Harden – didn't play as well because the OKC team got one of their better defenders back. I was telling somebody yesterday, like, watch out for Lou Dort because he's he's a good defender. He's kind of what helps them go. And even with him back, they still couldn't get over the hump because then you had guys like Jeff Green going in and Eric Gordon and all these other guys that need to step up without Westbrook there, they're, they're stepping up and OKC's just not there. I mean, they, they weren't really supposed to even be here to begin with, but now that they're here, it's, it's not a good look because I definitely had more faith that they'd play well and at least win a few games. I thought they'd win the series, but now I'm just scrapping that and saying that Houston is going to win that series. Especially if you get nights where Harden shoots like that and you can't pull it off, that's not that's not good. You gotta you get those are the games that you have to take when the star isn't playing well. You can't let these other guys just go off and 
And then how do you answer for that? You, you don't. And now they have to play on, on Saturday because it's during a normal season, they might have an extra day rest. But now because there's no travel and they're just in the bubble, it's just every other day. So now it's you don't get that home court factor that they might get where going home, that's huge. They don't have that. I think okay is one of those teams that needed that young team. If we weren't talking about the bubble and you talking about that game three back in Oklahoma City, I would see they would come out, get that dub. But hey, y'all all in Orlando. So mm-hmm. something I wanna uh I saw it on Twitter. I wanna uh run it by you mentioned Lou Dort. People are calling him the James Harden stopper. Do you think this is a little um <laughs> a little bit prisoner of the moment or he had a good game. That's what it comes down to. He had a good game defending James, but then in the fourth quarter, like James started heating up. So there's also that factor. And then I don't know. I, I think game three, Harden will have something else for him. Cause Harden's got so much in his bag that he had a bad game. Might've just been shooting too much, but once he's rolling and he's going to the cup, there's not much you can do to stop him because he'll you'll either have to give up the points or he'll draw a foul, and that doesn't help your team any if you, you're in foul trouble. So I see a hard in attacking him. What do you think about all these teams? I'm seeing a lot so far in the playoffs. A little bit in the regular season too. All the teams that are playing these zones, um, the one three ones and the two threes. Like, what do you think about the NBA basketball bringing back zone defenses? I mean, it's the same thing in these leagues that we play in. That we're not playing man to man that often because I don't trust everybody to play man to man because that's what it is. So that help defense is where the zone comes in. You you get to clog up lanes. You can almost swing double teams to people if they're trying to drive. So it makes sense in in the way that it's the playoffs. You have to adjust, and I'm pretty sure. The Warriors, I mean, not the Warriors. The Lakers adjusted last night, definitely. Speaking of the Lakers, the adjustment that they made, that was a great transition. I'll peep that. That was boom. <laughs> Los Angeles Lakers came out with that win, 111-88. Um, Dame had 18, left with an injury. Uh, again, in a discussion of who else showed up for the Blazers, not many. AD came out with a 31 and 11 takeaways from, from this game. Do you think the Lakers found a rhythm? Is this uh the Blazers had their fun now it's over. What's your um, takeaways from this one? I definitely think that it was a wake up call game one. And I don't think the Lakers are going to sleep on Portland anymore. That, that first game, I don't know if they were sleeping. They just, Portland has been hot and they just came out with, everything they had and and got game one. But game two, they didn't even need LeBron. He didn't do that much. It was like a regular game for LeBron. But, like, the team defense was better. They were throwing double teams at Dame, forcing him to give the ball up, forcing him to take bad shots. And nobody else was helping. That was the thing in the first game. Like, you can't – 
with Portland, I was saying before that you can't really double team Dame because they have other pieces, but in this game, nobody really helped and stepped up because they had 58 points going into the fourth quarter. So clearly they weren't, they were, they were struggling hitting their shots, but that's what the Lakers are supposed to do. And what I like the most is that finally Vogel started putting AD at the five when um, nobody on the, on Portland can D him at all. That's the, yeah, I think that was the adjustment that needed to be made. Put him at the five, um, even though AD didn't want to play the five. In this series, you put AD at the five. Um, like you said, James is on cruise control. I think that helped a big time uh, arrested LeBron James in what is expected to be a long playoff run. Only played 27 minutes. I think he still got to cut down those turnovers. Six turnovers was a, a high clip. Portland was able to capitalize on it, but shout out Team Swiss, J.R. Smith. You played him. He had 11 off the bench. Um, three threes, more threes than Danny Green still, who came out and said that he's been dealing with a headache. Um, I think you should cut his minutes till his head stops hurting. You got Deion Waiters came in, gave some good minutes. Um, and I call well Pope too. He was playing well last night. Caldwell Pope showed up, played well. With Dame, with this finger injury, the dislocated finger on the left hand, um, do you think this affects, you know, how he plays from here on out? His jump shot, he already said he's playing game three. How do you see this affecting him? And how do you think he approaches the game with, you know, Lakers throwing double teams at him and whatnot? How do you think he uh, approaches the rest of this series? I mean, it could affect him, but also at the same time, it's the playoffs. He's got to play through it. They don't. It's either play or go home at this point. So he might as well play through it. It's just with dislocating anything, you just worry about it dislocating again. And I don't know. It's on his guide hand, so that's the good thing. It's not on his shooting hand, but it's not a good it's not a good thing when your hottest player gets hurt and it's something attached to where he shoots and that's his hand. So this could be a tough this could be a tough one. I don't, it might affect his shooting. I don't know. He didn't go back in the game after he got hurt, but we'll see in game three how it affects him. I would definitely keep throwing double teams at him, you know, get more physical and aggressive with him. It's not, it's not anything against him. It's just the playoffs, and this is how you got to play. You, somebody gets injured and they want to play through it, you got to go at them and, and force them to make decisions, play defense get physical I think it I think it might affect maybe his dribbling a little bit his shot like you said it's the guy hand we'll see I think he's still gonna get his shots up regardless um I I just think unless some other players step up consistently throughout the rest of this series it might this might be a quicker series now with Dane being injured and seeing CJ's playing through injury himself too so well, I think hopefully the Lakers, you know, made the right adjustments, stick to it, and we'll be talking about this is not game five. Well, that definitely gives more confidence that 
they're not going to get knocked out in the first round. Because after that first game, it had me thinking, oh, maybe maybe Charles Barkley wasn't out of his mind thinking that Portland would knock them off. And they definitely – I mean, LeBron's not going zero dark 30 this year. He's He's on social media, so he sees – Paul Pierce talking about him. He sees Chuck breaking out the broom a little prematurely after game one. And that just something you don't do to add more fuel to the fire for, for LeBron. And see, now, I thought now I, I thought just supposed to be, I thought you were supposed to be, um, you know, not biased in your job. Like it's so apparent. Paul Pierce does not rock with broad. I know. It, Anytime he get a to chance. Day. To this day. Anytime he get a chance to talk on LeBron not playing well, not doing well, he carpe diem, he seizes the day. Mm-hmm. Every time. Every time. I I I just thought you were you're supposed to be objective in those type of jobs. Um, Clearly, he's still hurt. He's still hurt about those those Celtics and and Nets losses that he had. Yeah, he was beating his chest that he was the the, the champ and the king of the East, and then Bron showed up and kind of changed that up. Um, yeah, big time. And he was giving them fits with those Cavs teams while he had KG and Ray Allen for teammates, and he was <laughs> giving Paul Pierce. Fits, but I digress to a more uh, serious topic. Um, NBA is already talking about pushing back the season because they're really trying to figure out how to have fans at their games, um, something that will be discussed and handled um, once it comes back, the season comes back, if there's fans and, you know, security. The whole incident with the Masai Ujiri and the Warriors security guard uh, footage came out that – he actually initiated physical contact, pushed Masai Ujiri, um, laid hands on him. As far as we knew, we didn't see that clip till recently. And the person that works for the Warriors was suing Masai Ujiri and saying that he was harmed and he wanted to get he wanted a payout. Video was released and that his side wasn't the case. That wasn't true. And uh, it's a countersuit coming about from Masai Ujiri. Uh, man, with everything going on, uh, um, what's your thoughts on the film coming out, which we see over these last three, four months? The the fam, you know, the, the film from... The body cams. The body cams, that's what they... The body cams, people recording on social media, the videos is getting a lot of people in trouble what what's your takeaways from hey we see the body cam footage now and you actually initiated the violence the body cam is there to make sure the cops doing his job and to make sure that they have everything on film of every police encounter so i don't know how he forgot that he had one on when he decided to target Masai Ujiri and, you know, get physical with him. Because if you look at the video, 
Masai was just shocked after he pushed him the first time. And he's like, hey, I'm the president of the Raptors. And he's pulling his credentials out. And he's just trying to walk through. And then the guy pushes him again. And it's just not a good look because you, you tried to cry wolf and you were the one who instigated the whole altercation. And even though it was just, it was a matter of like 15 seconds, the altercation, it's still, you were trying to like tear down his reputation. Like he attacked you. He, he put you in the hospital, like bodily harm was done to you when none of that, like you, one, if you're getting, you have to go to the hospital off of a couple shoves, then I don't know. You need to drink some milk, but he needs some milk. Need some milk. But the cop, he's definitely not working any more Warriors games. He's he's definitely going to be out of a job because that's not how you conduct yourself as a cop. But as we've seen, some of some of these cops don't know how to conduct themselves in their job, and they go a little too far with using force when it's not needed. And I don't know, Masai, he handled it the right way. He didn't, he didn't get aggressive with the guy. He did shove him at the end, which was warranted because I'm not letting somebody push me twice and nothing happens after that. So shout out to Masai. I'm glad that the truth comes out. I didn't, actually believe that he did anything because there would have been a bigger scene at the the NBA finals if like he actually did something and there would have been more eyewitnesses coming out saying yeah I saw what happened but we didn't really hear any of that so the lying lying doesn't help you when you have body cameras that should be the that's the statement of the day that's my neon sign of the day (laughs) Don't lie, because the truth comes out. For me, it it just shows, you know you got a body cam, but it just shows kind of like some cops' mentality is I don't care mm-hmm. about the body cam because I don't think there'll be any, any repercussions. They do it anyway. A lot of them know it. they're being recorded. George Floyd, I'm looking at the camera, and I don't care. I'm going to still do what I want to do because I know there's not any true consequences coming from me. This situation, I hope there are some true consequences that comes for him, especially to sue, to go to that extent to sue him. You're trying to get a payout, and you know you're in the wrong. I really hope there's some consequences. I hope Masai Jury is able to get every dollar, every cent to his name in that countersuit. I want everything. I want your badge. I want your life insurance. I want your 401k. I want all of that. Just do that just to lie, just to go to that extent, as you said. It's a finals game. You telling me it's no footage that came out from any fan. If Masai Jury was out there getting right, hitting him with an uppercut two-piece, put him in the hospital, somebody would have recorded that. Mm-hmm. So, somebody, a fan would have turned, world star, would have turned around and recorded that. There's no way. I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with this. I just hope there's some true consequences for the dude. Um once everything is handled in in the uh, courts, so. And my thing is, he must not watch sports because how do you not know the president, the only black president in the NBA, only one NBA is the Toronto Raptors, the team that you're 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 going against. 
don't, I don't understand it. As somebody that's working the, you know, the security and working the arena, you got to know, I'm sure you got to know the faces of like this, this person can come through, has clearance. I'm sure they have a, a pamphlet, a portfolio, like, hey, this is the owner of the Warriors. This is, so you don't have situations like this. Like, who are you? Oh, yeah, no, no, you, you good. I'm, I'm sure he just didn't care. Like, if, if we really be honest, I think it was, I don't care. I don't think I'm going to get in trouble for this. I want to do this because. Yeah, that's super unfortunate. That's what. That's what we're going through right now. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter movement is still is important. We're going to close out the show with uh, some spice. Some, uh, <laughs> it got a little spicy on Twitter last night with uh, Mark Jackson and George Carl. Uh, what's your takeaways from their Twitter exchange? Mark Jackson in between the game was saying, basically, shame on whoever did not hold Carmelo accountable to play defense. He's playing defense. He's bought into the system in Portland. George Carl took offense to it. What's your thoughts on uh, – <laughs> I mean, it's tough to, like, throw shots at George Carl for that because also he's not the superstar of the team anymore. He doesn't have to do as much. So I'd hope you could play some defense knowing that you're not the number one option anymore. So I get I, I get that perspective, but I also get what Mark Jackson's getting at, that as a coach, you're supposed to hold everybody accountable, and he kind of he, he let him slide with minimal effort at the defensive end. And that's on George Carl. They did get to the conference finals one year, but that didn't amount to anything, and then they traded him. So there's that. But George Carl, he he does run his mouth a little bit, you know, had basically a tell-all book, throwing Melo under the bus, throwing a lot of people under the bus a few years ago, and then now he's coming at Mark Jackson when it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that deep. It was just let it go. He said, shame on whoever didn't hold Melo accountable for defense. It wasn't just y'all. It was <laughs> – the Knicks, who didn't hold him accountable. Nuggets, the the Rockets, all these teams didn't hold him accountable. But now he's basically, he realized he's on his last leg. And if I want to stick around, I got to do what I can to show that I'm worthy of being on a team. So, yeah, of course, now he's going to play a little defense. But that doesn't make him Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. It just means he's... He listens. He can. He knows that defensively, I can't be a liability out here, or else my career is not going to be as long as it should be. Yeah, but, I, yeah. George like, Carl, he's not a good guy. Like you said, it, it, Mark Jackson could have been talking about anybody. Honestly, um, he don't even seem like that type to throw shade. He don't even seem like that type. I think George Carl. I didn't even know he had Twitter. I, I didn't even know he was on Twitter. I don't rock with him anyhow for that tell-all book with basically throwing Melo on the bus for all the problems of the Nuggets, saying things like because Melo didn't have a dad in his life that he wasn't able to have financial literacy. Like, George Carl 
says a lot of he talks a lot, man. To read his exact tweet, I heard Mark Jackson is taking shots at my defensive coaching during tonight's broadcast. Remind me how many All Star teams did he coach? How many defensive players of the years? How many finals appearances? And how many of my teams became dynasties right after I left? And I think that probably was one that hit hit right here, where Mark Jackson taking shots. He was definitely trying to take some shots at him right back with the whole dynasty after I left. All-stars, defensive players, all that stuff. But, I mean, George Carl hasn't won anything. He didn't – his teams didn't get a chance to win it's Seattle, right? Uh, that's true. He did make it to the finals with Seattle. But, but I'm saying Seattle. He didn't win. He didn't win anything. But, again, since Seattle, Denver made that conference finals. And then what else happened for George Carl in his career? I don't know. Oh, oh, my point. Okay, then. Um, Mark Jackson responded, wasn't even thinking of you. By the way, I never lost to you in the playoffs as a player or as a coach. God bless you and yours. It don't even seem like Mark is that type of guy. I don't, I don't think Mark was trying to throw shade at all. Um, I, don't, I don't think he was doing that at, at all. Like, Think it was a little uh, blown out of proportion by George Carl. Maybe he feels some type of way because you know he said something. Maybe somebody in his ear was like, "Oh, he's talking about you." I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But this concludes another good episode of the Benchmark Podcast. Y'all know where we are at. We're on all streaming platforms. We're on YouTube. Check us out. Make sure you subscribe. Turn on the notifications. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, every podcast, every streaming platform. Check us out. COVID is still going on. Make sure y'all stay safe. Black Lives Still Matter. Arrest the, the killers of Breonna Taylor. And make sure y'all stay safe. Also, and wrap up. If you are going to get involved in any situations where you and a group of your friends, male or female, are going to be having fellatio performed on you, please make sure that you stay safe, strap up, put something on or just don't do it at all. Celibacy is cool too. So check that out. Keep that in mind with uh, your COVID. You don't want to get STD and COVID in one night. That would be a very, very long night for you. Um, that would make 2020 even longer. So stay safe. Benjamin, we out. Peace.